When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Stories of Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be Chickasaw Hall of Fame and Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And we've got a treat today. We got the greatest QA ever, and we've got the greatest comedian in the history of God's flat earth. We got wow. Taylor Williamson. Wow. Take it away. Wow. I was I was not happy to be here until I heard that. And now I'm really happy to be here. Um, no, I mean, it's an honor to be here. Are you kidding me? I'm two Hall of Famers. They're, they're asking me to ask them questions. This is great. So I got a list of questions from all of you, uh, wrestling fans and Briscoe and Bradshaw fans. And, uh, I'm going to moderate, try to keep some control. These guys are already out of control. They're telling great stories before we press record. And I said, this can't happen on my watch. This is not going to happen. So. Why don't you tell them what did you just? I was asking about you ever had flight, flight, flight troubles. Tell them what you were telling me. Yeah, because you were sending your dog like to Malawi or something on its own. Just like, hey, dog, get in the Uber, go in the no, plane, and I'll I see fl- you like down in East Africa. My dog's a carry on, and she's my friend. And how okay, dare you? Okay, all right, I, all right, I got the story. Don't get bit. hot, Taylor. <laughs> I'm hot. We were flying. You know, you know John. John, this happened one time. We did a Q and A. Me and me and Taylor back in the old days uh, when we first started this crap. And uh, <laughs> and I, they got the people were sending questions online. Well, I thought they wanted me to answer them then, so I'm answering the questions on online. <laughs> and Taylor said, "Hey, you dumb idiot! Don't don't do that. Those are questions for later." So no, no. I had to back up all my answers. Did you that call was... him that, Taylor? That's not nice. No, that was you at well, while you were inducting him for his Hall of Fame ceremony. That's when you said that's when that was said. Um, that speech is very funny, by the way. Oh my god. Um, and by the way, when I get when I finished the speech, I knew that Jerry and Jack had had a couple of little cocktails, and instead of shaking their hand and hugging them like you're supposed to do, I exited side ramp. True story. <laughs> I would not get near them. I really thought they're going to take me down in my text. There's nothing I can do about it for 10,000 people. And, and so literally, I was the only one making history to not shake their hand. I saw them and I just headed straight right went down the ramp. If you guys haven't well, did, were you going to, were you looking to get him, uh, Gerald? Uh, I wasn't, but Jack was. Jack, 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 I, I'm I, and he don't want Jack doing it. I, you know, no. I, I, I'm, used, I'm used to the abuse, but that was Jack's <laughs> second time with abuse. First time was in our home state, Oklahoma, when him and Simmons took a whiz on a welcome to Oklahoma sign. And actually nailed it up in a production room where so Danny Hodge and Jack Briscoe could see us. It was not seems like, in well. That seems like something JBL would do in Oklahoma, pee on the Welcome to Oklahoma side. I'd like to pee on the whole state, honestly. <laughs> anyway. I, 
uh, I was doing you know, Texas, Texas, Texas are one of those flyover states. You know, when you fly over, it, you, that's when you save it all up. For coming from the East Coast, you go to the bathroom right over the heart of Texas with the toilet, <laughs> and you flush all the toilets. You run around every toilet and flush them. Everybody, what are you doing? Oh, it's Texas. I'm flushing the toilet. So they agree with me. <laughs> so what happened, Taylor, was we took a, a little photo of using the bathroom on the state sign and on Briscoe's uh, shoot working town and his gimmick working town. And with the Polaroid camera, you know, way before cell phones. And I hung them up in catering. And I thought, you know, Briscoe stretched me all by this time about 482 times. All right. I've got no victories at this point against him. So I'm 482. <laughs> he's 482. I'm the O. And in walk Danny Hodge and Jack Briscoe. And I'm like, oh my God. I did not plan on that in the equation. <laughs> I know Jerry eventually is going to let me up because we're friends. I, I don't know that Jack and Danny are ever going to let me up. It didn't end well. It, it it was really it did not end well at all. I cannot Danny I cannot do a bench Danny press. I cannot Dan, do a bench press for about three months. Danny Hodge messed my elbow up so bad. True story. Yeah, Danny walks that. over to John and does one of these. Not only does he grab his hand, but he grabs his elbow at the same time. You know, he's got his elbow with one hand and his hand with the other. So there's no getting loose. There's no shaking or nothing. I can see that thumb starting to bury right there in, in the JBL's elbow, and I see. The redness going to his face from his hands, and he starts squeezing. He starts kneeling down to his knees. <laughs> That's Finally, terrifying. Mr. Hodge, let him go. Yeah, it, Taylor, it was so bad. Literally, I couldn't do bench so press. You, for so you got any months. questions to ask, or are we going to just BS all day? Sir, well, first of all, I have to tie up some loose ends here. First of all, if you didn't okay. see the Briscoe Brothers induction ceremony, watch that their speech is great their induction is great but the the uh intro what do you are you i guess you're the inductor the, the inductor. you in, you induct the inductees how does this work i don't I'm know putting how them the okie legends <laughs> in the hall of fame that's what i'm doing so you got to watch that speech both speeches are amazing and have to watch and jbl's full heel and but so praising and then full heel hey, <laughs> it's I, really I wild on that speech when i said and the 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 native got him back when Georgia championship wrestling was sold to Vincent Kennedy McMahon. So I told the whole story about, you know, <laughs> selling Manhattan and all that stuff for bag of Smiths and some shiny beads and then ended with Georgia championship wrestling. And I could hear Vince laughing <laughs> from the stage. He, he never expected that. <laughs> wow. I, I want to say, I love how much you got like Oklahoma hates Texas and Texas hates o o Oklahoma. I'm from California. Like we think you're both a bunch of rednecks. Like it's nice that you, it's fun to watch you guys fight. I got scared. Oh my god. What? Where did you get this guy, Jerry? I thought he was funny. Well, I, I we gave him the truth. I, he knows. He knows the truth, John. I mean, he, he's met. He's been around you before. You and him went to a five-star general's retirement uh, ceremony. And uh, in D.C., where all the VIPs were and everything, left me at home on the reservation while you guys were out partying with five-star generals. And, and Taylor did a magnificent job and got a standing ovation at it. He did a wonderful oh, job. This I nice. didn't know at that time he considered me and you both rednecks <laughs> that he laughed at. By the way, you know what? I felt like I was in good company because my suit was too baggy for me. No, no, you don't wear skinny jeans because you're a man. Or, well, I don't know about that, but... I don't wear skinny jeans because I'm a man. No one's ever said anything that nice to me. Thank you. It was a mistake. No. Can, I, can I tell you, I talked to 
to Briscoe about your suits. I was like, I think they look good. I'm, I'm a fan of your suits. Thank you. Anyways. And, but you guys didn't tell the story about first question from uh, Taylor Williamson in California. What What's a crazy story about flights getting delayed? Well, we had, the flight wasn't delayed, but we stopped off in Amsterdam on our way to the Middle East. And, then, and I won't say who, Road Warriors, stopped off to go see some museums or something. <laughs> and, we, and we saw them like three days later. <laughs> and they missed, they missed shows too? They missed everything. Jerry was in the office at that time. He could they take missed Monday Night Raw. Raw. They missed Raw. Yeah. They missed Monday Night Raw. Yeah, he they come to me and said, Briscoe, we got eight. We had eight hours of plane was delayed at Amsterdam, of all places, for eight hours. We're not going to sit at this airport all damn day. And I said, well, you don't have to. About five minutes later, they come up to me and they said, hey, we're going to go out and see some museums and some artwork here in Amsterdam. We're here at a really fine place, city for sea culture. I said, sure it is, sure it is. <laughs> so they took off. And I said, hey guys, we can't hold the airplane. You know, it's not not a commercial or, or private airplane, so it, it's commercial. And, and when they leave, they leave. So make sure you're here on time. Oh, well, don't worry about. It. We'll we'll get there. So it come time for the airplane to leave. We're all looking around the airport. No road warriors and whoever else went with them. But the other guys showed up. The road warriors did. They were too busy studying. Uh, uh picasso artwork i think somewhere on a strip down there or somewhere on a strip or something about a strip anyway i don't know what it was oh boy but oh they, boy. They, they were busy so next day was monday night raw and wherever we were going there and there were no road warriors briscoe what happened well they went to see artwork then <laughs> i don't know no, ain't no artwork in amsterdam <laughs> and do, do they get two days later they showed up <laughs> And do you, is there like a pen, a fine? Do they? Do oh they... yeah, like lost a job, maybe. Oh, oh wow! Oh, there you go. Wow. I so don't listen, ever I go to artwork in Amsterdam unless you got plenty of time. Yeah, and it's a great city for artwork too, by the way, and architecture. Oh, that's what I hear about that city is the architecture. <laughs> so you really think we're both rednecks? No, I, I respect both of you, and I'm terrified of both of you. Can I be honest? Can I tell you? People, he's supposed to be asking us questions. Can I, can I tell you, Briscoe is so strong. Like, like I don't know if people think that you're just being nice to this guy that you look up to and you respect. Like, oh, don't hurt me, Mr. Briscoe. This guy is so strong. We did some, like, minor test of strength once, and it hurt. <laughs> like it like it wasn't just, oh you're stronger than me it was like oh i'm in pain for I, hours i got this i don't mean to interrupt your hosting this and you're doing a wonderful job by the way taylor oh thank you sir thank you but gerald briscoe went to you saw a picture of him i think with uh, batista on the internet he went to smackdown everybody treated him like the returning hero that he is i so i see bruce pritchard i said how was it having mr briscoe down here he goes he took down bo dallas <laughs> Is that true, Mr. Briscoe? Uh, I don't. I don't recall that. <laughs> he, said he took down somebody, and I said he took down. Bruce thought it was Bo Dallas, so I don't know if Bo Dallas was there or not. I he, I know Bruce said that Jerry took somebody down. Well, there there were some guys running around backstage, and uh, that actually wasn't backstage; it's out by ringside, and uh, just you know, guys that weren't involved in it. And, 
both Bo and uh, both uh, Bro and Ray uh, uh, Bray Bray is his name. Uh, we have a thing going when we see each other. You know, I've known these those guys that they're pooping in their diapers. So uh, we have a thing going every time I see them. I I, 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 they either attack me first or I attack them. So it's usually whoever sees each other first. So, yeah, Bo is walking around visiting with his brother, getting ready to go out of town, go to Mexico, I think, which he didn't make anyway. <laughs> so uh, I, 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 I latched on to him, and I got a little heat over it. You know, I, I got I, the, the big guy with three letters to his name come up. Why are you, why are you trying to hurt my superstars? I, I don't know. They were going to hurt me first. So I think that'll probably be the last time I'm invited to go to a TV shoot. <laughs> oh that's so cool i'm so happy you went that's amazing wow um can i tell you one time at one of those star cast things i got jumped from behind by haku wow <laughs> yeah someone someone clearly told no, no. i never wow <laughs> i swear and this is real i'm just i never met this guy you know and then like someone <laughs> clearly then. <laughs> yeah someone clearly was like this will be funny. Have Hey Haku jump on that skinny Jewish guy. This will be funny. And I was just like, so there's like starstruck mixed with fear, mixed with what is happening right now. It was, and he was, he was happy. It's, so, it's so. scary when you know the guy and he jumped you, let alone yeah. not knowing the guy and he <laughs> yeah. jumped you. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was smiling, but I was like, is this one of those, like, is he one of these crazy people who smiles when he's like, he's attacking his prey or is he having fun? I don't know. Now, that's what those guys do. They smile when they're attacking you because they're getting so much enjoyment out of it. I used to laugh at John when I attacked him. <laughs> not nice. Not <laughs> nice, Mr. Briscoe. Hey, Taylor, do we have any questions out there for Radio Land or whatever line like podcast land? Yeah, I got a question for you. <laughs> um, from Michelle Falconer, did you learn more in Territory Days or WWE? Who's that for, Taylor? Sir, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you this, Michelle Falconer. I don't work here. She's a wonderful lady. She's <laughs> one of she's one of our, our, our great friends. And uh, so, uh, Mr. Briscoe, you go ahead first. I'll, I'll give it to you since uh, you stretched uh, somebody at SmackDown. Okay. Well, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm totally different because I, I started in territorial days. John did too, but he was right at the tail end of it. So most of my education in the business was in territorial days. But, you know, I, you, the, we had the uh, the the... the 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 pleasure of going around from territory to territory working with different guys and learning different styles so if your mind was open to learning that that was a fantastic way to do it because you got to work with so many different people and people were always even if you wasn't changing territories a lot people were always coming through from different areas so you, you know, if they were top guys you'd go out and watch your matches what are, what are they doing that makes them top guy in minnesota or top guy in kansas or top top guy in oregon or LA or wherever it might be. And you go out and you pick up and you, and you, you kind of latch onto the stuff because they're not going to be back for a year, maybe even two years. So you, you could use a lot of their stuff around where they're at. So it was a learning process through and through, but you know, that, that was the working side of the business side of it. When I went to WWE, I, I felt like I had already had a good foundation, but I, 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 I copied the words of the great Bill Watts. I got my PhD at, at WWE in, in business management. What makes a business really roll? 
from Kevin Dunn, the production people out in the truck. I mean, they're geniuses, every one of them out there. And if you want to learn, man, you can learn. And Vince McMahon, you know, to, to be locked into that that one territory all of his entire life. He was so knowledgeable and 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 such a good teacher. And he explained a lot what what he was talking about. He just wouldn't say do it because of this. He would tell you why to do it, and it always made sense. So, you know, he kind of in the, in the ring. It was the territorial days, but business wise, backstage and business wise, it was definitely WWE. Yeah, and guys who had the benefit of going through the territories. You know, I was right at the tail end of it, but I got to work a lot of different territories from Japan to Texas to all over the United States to Mexico, Puerto Rico, Europe for a couple of years. Uh, every territory was vastly different. You know, it was Memphis was very different from Texas, very different from Mexico, different from Puerto Rico, different from Japan, different from Europe, different from uh, Carolinas. And so you got a real good education of how to get over in a million different situations, which the one thing missing today, I think it's tough for these guys is they don't have that educational background of that. Now they do a wonderful job at NXT. I'm not taking anything away from that. I just, think for me it'd be hard because i had so much uh, of that learning that came from different people different i mean great talent i got the tag team with dick murdoch with bob orton jr i got to be uh, over in europe with with finley and st Clair. I, I got to tag with stan hansen uh work against stan also i mean i had some great mentors and people that taught me the business before i got the wwe but jerry's right once i got the wwe it, it's not like it's not even the same genre sport entertainment whatever you want to call it i remember was sitting there at wrestlemania the pond and watching Shawn michaels repel from the ceiling and i'd been a lot of places and i'm thinking i need to go back to japan because i don't belong here it's that overwhelming uh to a lot of guys when they get to wwe and i had been a lot of places and i was still when i saw that match with brett and sean i remember thinking this is a place that i don't think i fit in very well that that's how overwhelming wwe can be wow wow and then now you're the guy who's like, well, you've been for you've been that for decades, but you're the guy people watch like, oh, well, I don't know if I belong here. <laughs> it, took I it took it took it took a while. You know, it, it did. It took a lot of guys like uh, Jerry and Barry Wendell and Jack Lanza and uh, Ron Simmons. Uh, a lot of guys really helping me. You've been absolutely crushing it coming back in comedy. That's like a compliment. You've been killing <laughs> it. Like you as a, you're such a mean person, but. <laughs> I like, like people say heels don't exist anymore. Like you're doing like such a great job that the promo you cut in Oklahoma about how, or I'm sorry, in, oh, in Texas, I'm, I mean, Oklahoma promo was just mean, just, just straight up mean. That, that was great too. But the Texas promo where you're just talking about how wonderful the history of Texas is. And I was like, where's he going? Something's going to happen. Like he's just going <laughs> to, I was like, is he doing the Bret Hart thing where he's just like, he's like uh, over in Canada and just going to let it be like the Texas. Then you start trash talking your Texas people. And they were just like, what? <laughs> that was like masterclass. That should be in the Smithsonian. It was so over their heads, you know, because he had been in Oklahoma so long. He learned that. So it was so over those Texans' heads, they didn't understand what he said. <laughs> that is not nice, Mr. Briscoe. That is not nice. They thought that they thought it was the compliments. Is that what happened? You know, that, how- that, that leads it. That leads into another question, though, Taylor. And I saw. I don't know if it's on your list, but I saw it on our list. How does a guy from Texas and Oklahoma get coexist in this podcast? Or we don't really. I mean, we cuss <laughs> each other out. Well, well, what I don't get about you, Mister Briscoe, is are you a 
an Oklahoma boy or or a Florida man? Oh, good question. Because he moved, he moved as soon as he got a car. As soon as he got the ability to wow. get out of Oklahoma, he got out. The only you, you, moved, you moved to you moved to Washington D.C. so you could be close to all your cronies out there. Too. Yeah, I love <laughs> I, at least I moved to Florida. You know, the, to oh, move man. right next to Carol Baskin. Wow. Wow, this should be a WrestleMania. You know that uh, Tiger debate. King. You know, looks like uh, Michael Hayes, meth uh, addicted son. <laughs> he moonwalks, by the way. He does. He was right there near Gerald Briscoe, and then Gerald Briscoe moved right next to Carol Baskin. You can't tell me that is not a coincidence. No way. Briscoe, is there something you want to tell us? Is there something you want to tell the jury? Carol's a mighty nice lady. <laughs> He, knows he, didn't want to get eat, he didn't want to get eaten by a tiger. Oh, boy. Wait, yeah, I... They're right down the street here, just a couple of miles down the street here, so I'm not going to get a tiger loose. There's been sightings of tigers loose in our yard here. So. Oh, boy. I have a question from Jim DeRoy. Or DeRoy. Favorite beer? Coors Light for me. Cold. Cold beer. <laughs> Free. <laughs> <laughs> Free cold beer. How about that? That's our favorite beer. Wow. Okay, okay. Jason Brown says, "Was uh, oh, I'm, oh. A, I'm, 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 I'm a Budweiser man. Uh, actually, I, I like I like old school Budweiser. You know, I, I, it's real beer, the king of beers. Do you guys and want he, to? Uh, JBL probably like that Pearl beer or Lone Star. Beer. Oh my goodness, we used to have Lone Star when I worked on a ranch when I was a kid. All the Cowboys would drink it because it was a dollar for a case. It was the worst beer ever. <laughs> Everybody drank. Oh, it's the greatest beer. No, it's not. It's just cold and it costs a dollar a case. I <laughs> uh, Jason Brown says, was Bruce ever considered to be an on-air character again or one of the Stooges? Oh, good question, Mr. Briscoe. Uh, well, uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce would have made, he would have been the main stooge and it would have taken away from me. So I, Pat, Pat and Bruce, uh, they were always talking these things where I come out on the end of it, you know, and, uh, and, uh, Pat was always looking good, but Pat, uh, Bruce, Bruce, I don't think Bruce was, Bruce was so valuable and so important backstage and, and creating the show and creating everything. That once once he uh, did his online character with uh, on screen character with Brother Love, that you can't top that. So I think he just kind of retired from from the old campers, camera stuff. So no, as far as I know, there was never never anything. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter was one of the original students. We were the first the, the three right. students. It was Pat, Sarge, and myself. So uh, that was that was that's all they needed was three. So uh, Bruce wasn't included at that time. No. Wow. And that was a hard wow. thing to do. It's a hard thing to be on camera and also do work behind the scenes because you got so much you got to do or memorize whatever else. It's just, it's, it's tough to do. Do you get paid double when that happens? As Skandar Agbar used to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I worked the show yeah, be three times and I said, and somebody, Dick Murdoch goes, you don't get paid three times. And I was, I was tough. This is great. The Agbar just. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know? Did In other you, words, is, no. Exactly. In other words, no. <laughs> did you know that um, uh, Bruce Pritchard invented the Three Stooges? I did. Yes, know yes, that, but... uh, yes, yes. Yes, I, I knew it. Bruce invented. Bruce invented the headlock. Yeah, wow. I'll tell you that story, Taylor. I know you and you and Bruce make these midnight calls because 
he knows John's asleep and he knows I'm asleep and you're on the West Coast. So when he gets in, he can always call you out there on the, on the West Coast and you'll be awake and you'll listen to him. You'll be polite like you are. You're polite, very polite young man. And so uh, uh, Bruce, Bruce, what was the question again? About <laughs> Bruce is doing everything. And, and we just found out that this is huge, that Bruce calls Taylor every night. Every night. His wife goes to sleep, and then he still wants to talk, so he calls me. Yeah. And uh, AJ Lucio says stories on Haku. I told mine. <laughs> Haku used to go eat with me and Ron all the time, and thank God he was our friend. So I was I'm sorry, Taylor, but your internet sucks. Your internet sucks, and I, I didn't hear the question. Am I? <laughs> hey, wait, is this? Wait. Hey, JBL, is this is this a guy who's in his Florida basement saying that my internet's not working? Exactly. Yeah, he got that oaky internet he brought with him from from freaking Stillwater, and that's and he somehow that's there's free. a problem. Wow, this is called gaslighting, sir. You're gaslighting us. Yeah, you're gaslighting. Haku wow. stories, Mr. Briscoe. Haku. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this man. I had spent. Spect you're complaining about spec did Haku uh break your spectrum internet? Did he break my sexual unit? Did he what? <laughs> well that's another question. That's that's my next question. <laughs> what is your what <laughs> sir? Is this a family this is not a family show? Hey Taylor, I will tell you this about Haku. Yes, it is. When we did the the invasion, not we, the DX did the invasion over at uh we were in Norfolk or wherever we were, uh, you know, they're pretty close together. We didn't know if they're going to come back or not. So Gerald Briscoe went around and told the guys, you know, kind of step out there and uh, make sure that Vince gets out of here okay. Because we didn't know what would happen. So you had the Harris boys out there, me and Ron. You had Shamrock and Blackman, which really all you needed was, was Shamrock. But we always <laughs> thought if they send Haku over, we're just going to send out Shamrock. And we're going to watch them fight for the next 10 years. Because <laughs> that's oh going to be the biggest fight in the history of the world. Oh, my God. Briscoe, did uh, did uh, Haku ever do Taylor, anything to you? Sucks today. Well, now I'm stuttering because I'm nervous trying to figure out if I should ask about your sexual unit or uh, <laughs> just in general. Tell us a Haku no, story. I, you know, I, I'm really, I'm really, I'm, I'm really fortunate about Haku. I, I met Haku when he was 17 years old, and and uh, JBL's heard all these stories. When a new guy comes in, especially a young guy, my brother and I would always latch latch onto him because we like to we like to have a few uh, adult beverages on the road, and of course you can't. So we would latch onto one of these uh, young guys, and have them be our driver, and we wouldn't charge them anything. Back in the day, those days, they charged you for transportation. The other guys would charge you for transportation. So we just told, hey, you sit behind a wheel and you drive us while we have a have fun and everything, and uh, and we won't charge you. So Haku was driving. We get we get out past the city, then you know, all right, Haku, take over. And he'd get behind a wheel, and man, he'd drive thirty mile an hour. He'd just puddle on. Come on, Haku, pick it up. And it come to find out, we found out he didn't know how to drive and he didn't have a driver's license. He's yeah. only 17 years old. He didn't have driven a vehicle. We had him driving his road to Florida at 17 and without a driver's license. And we basically taught Haku how to drive. So <laughs> we, we, you know, we always had, we always had those King of the Ring, our leader of the pack t-shirts where we'd, we'd, 
weird tussle with everybody. But everybody, but except Haku, we just gave him an honorary leader of the pack shirt and told him it's his to keep your life. You know? so. can, can he be arrested now because you're admitting that Haku was driving illegally? What's this? That other law? He's this, this, legal now. He's wait. What's, that, what's that was, was a few years ago. Yeah, that was a long time ago. I hope, hopefully, hopefully, uh, most of the law enforcement people are probably gone by now. Can, can I tell you, JBL? When I was doing this, I did a little Q and A show with uh, Mr. Briscoe back in the day, and I found that most of the answers to be confessions to crimes that <laughs> can no longer be prosecuted due to statute you know, limitations. He, he admitted. He admitted that he and Michael Hayes ran over Tommy Wildfire Rich with a car. And I don't mean like, I mean, like bumped into, they ran over him. They hit him. He went all the with, with over. intent. Yeah, they ran <laughs> over Tommy Wildfire, the hottest baby face in the country. Now, forget that, though. It's a felony. That's right. attempted manslaughter. Right. And he admit, they and both admit, they both thought it was the funniest thing ever. He's laughing. He's it giggling. Was. Tommy Rich was on the show with us. We said, Tommy, what would happen? He goes, well, if I'd have got hurt, boss been mad. That's all he said. <laughs> yeah. It was illegal. They almost, they could have killed him. All, all his stories, I was driving drunk with Andre the Giant. And then we got pulled over and the cop was like, hey, you're with Andre? Hey, get my kid into the show. We're, we're good. I was jumping off a cliff with Rowdy Rowdy Piper. <laughs> How this about guy. when he attempted murder on Steve Kern at the bottom of the Gulf? <laughs> Steve Kern is at the bottom of the ocean. Oh, that was the way, way it was. Steve Kern attempted that murder. That was the other way around, John. Yeah. The other way yeah, around, I, yeah. Steve Kern yeah. admitted to attempted murder on uh, Gerald, Gerald Briscoe. He cut off his air at 30 feet underwater. He thought it was funny. <laughs> and somebody. And, and Steve Kern shot Barry Windham with a nine millimeter. Shot him. And they were out shooting street side that he confessed to. So that's right. He was shooting a street sign at bounced back and hit Barry Windham in the leg, shot him in the leg, and Barry went rolling down the hill. <laughs> Are you hurt, Barry? Hell no. <laughs> yeah. And somebody got kicked out of Disneyland for smoking in the parking lot? Or was that not you? That was someone else? Oh, that wasn't me. No, that wasn't me. That was that was that was the guy we spoke of earlier. Oh, well, who, who will, it's somebody we spoke of earlier who we won't name, but people can guess. Midian, Midian, he's not, uh, he's not around, but Midian. Midian's around. And I, and I, and I. Midian. Okay. Yeah, I just saw him a couple right of nights ago. He's right here. Um, I Daniel just saw him Col a couple of nights ago. Well, tell him I said hello, and did he have a nice fanny pack on? Yeah, he did. A nice one. Good. Gucci. Yeah, go to one. Yeah, nice, beautiful. Um, Daniel Colton, what was it like wrestling Danny Hodge? I think that's for Mr. Briscoe. Wow. All right, Danny was you know he was my childhood hero. Danny was the inspiration of, of both me and my brother getting into the professional wrestling business. Because Danny, Danny's home was just a few miles from where we grew up. That's the reason he was upset by John uh, uh, urinating on the on the sign of Oklahoma because Danny's right <laughs> in that neighborhood there. So, but uh, Danny was great until you get you get in a little flurry. You know how you get you do some of those uh, those chain wrestling moves. 
then he would great until you get into that. And all of a sudden, I think he would start having flashbacks because he, he, he wrestled for that, our competitor at University of Oklahoma. And we were, of course, Oklahoma State. I think he would get out there and he would lose, lose, his, lose his thought wave for a couple of seconds and have flashbacks to the old college days. And he'd get a little sip, so you just kind of, kind of freeze up and let Danny do what he wanted to do because you weren't going to stop him and, and wait until he kind of calmed down and said, Daddy, Daddy, calm down. You know, this is Savannah, Georgia. This is St. Petersburg, Florida, or wherever the hell you were. And, you know, it's not not Norman or, or Stillwater. And they try to get him back to reality. But Daddy was, was such a pleasure to work with, but he was also scary as hell because – you know, and, and a course of a match when you're really going, and John can back this up, no matter how careful you are, when you're really going out there, they're going to be stiff punches thrown. And you didn't want to go get a little silly with Danny Hodge and throw a stiff punch because you knew you had a receipt coming. And his receipts were something that you didn't want to receive. So you were very, very cautious when you were working with Danny. But if he if you if you laid back on him he would he would even pressure you more and make you make you go because daddy daddy liked the guy coming forward on him he didn't like the guy backing off on him so you really had to had to focus on what you were doing and focus not to be too stiff on him or he would have those flashbacks that next day you know you'd be counting those lives there so what 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 a fun man to to be be in the ring with share the ring with. Talk about GBI. a flashback. Talk about a flashback. We were one time where when Ken Shamrock first came in, we we're sitting there holding him, and Bossman's going to hit him with his nightstick. And you know, Bossman could be a little a little long sometimes on that. And he busts Ken's mouth open and pretty bad. And right away, Ken turns back into like the UFC one, and you see you feel him just start to swell. And it was and we're holding him, and Ron goes, uh, "That was boss." <laughs> <laughs> And Ken started laughing. Thank God. <laughs> you know, I met I met Ken Shamrock at a Taco Bell in San Diego in like 1997. Is that's there a just, story to this? It's just that's the story. It's not my show. I got quick. They're not good stories, but I, I'm gonna throw in a. I'm hosting this thing. I'm in charge. You remember doing? Did he buy you a Did he buy you a Taco Bell, or did you have to buy him one? No, it was the you guys used to do meet and greets at really wacky places. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah, yes. Like I met Undertaker at an Albertsons. I'm not joking. Like what? What can we get you guys in like something like a Ruth's Chris Steakhouse or something? You know. One time we're at a Walmart and Godfather goes in to get something. Me and Ron are out in the car and this guy comes by and he just turns into the biggest pest and he goes, "Oh, it's APA." And he he tries to get in the car with us. All this stuff, you know, like. Oh. <laughs> And, and so we can't get rid of the guy. So we said, hey, man, you know, the Ron goes, the, the Godfather is in there. And, and, and he goes, can I get an autograph you guys? And I said, we'll give you an autograph if you'll go in there and grab the microphone and tell everybody that the Godfather is in the <laughs> Did he do it? Oh, yeah, he did it. <laughs> wow, that's that sounds- awesome. That's some some mental jujitsu. That's some Jedi mind trick to turn a pesty's annoying fan into your henchman. That's right. Godfather had wow. Godfather was in there forever. He was so mad. He goes, "Who in the world would announce they're in there? I'm on my, I'm I'm not working. I don't know why somebody would do something." And Ron was like, "Yeah, that's just wrong. That's just wrong." <laughs> that's what they got to teach in NXT. This is the kind of stuff they got to teach in NXT. You got to do it guest class. <laughs> guest class 
You guys, I can't speak this morning. I've been awake for three minutes. I think when I'm tired, I have a articulation disorder. But, uh, or it comes back. I was a child. I had to go to speech therapist when I was a kid and it comes back. Do you guys pity me? <laughs> no. I feel sorry for you, Taylor. We feel sorry for you. Really? No. Thank you. No. I got to do my diction. Next. Next. <laughs> well, no one cares about me. Okay. Can I tell you, JBL, all the reviews on my Q&As with Briscoe, I don't know why your show was canceled. Uh, it was like, that guy, that guy Taylor talks too much. He's so annoying. Anyway, so thanks for having me. Um, Colton Driver, um, who, who did you, I don't understand this question. I'm going to skip it. But we like, shout out to Colton Driver. Um, and who did you want to work with and then you didn't want to work with? It's kind of a negative question. Was there someone that you really were excited to work with and you're like, oh, never mind? <laughs> I think that's, that we never got to work with. Is that right? Oh, is that what that means? Okay, there was a spelling error. Okay, that's a better question. Who's who somebody you really wanted to work with but you didn't have a chance to? I like that question. Oh, I, Magnum TA. Magnum TA or uh, even Luger. You know, I never got to work much with Bret Hart, even though I was there. You know, Bret was in a different level than I was. Uh, and uh, so I never got to work much with Bret. I did get to work with Bret, which was awesome. But I, I, Magnum TA to me, he was such a great baby face and a big, strong guy. And, and Luger was so over. I think both those guys would have been fun to work with. Especially with the JBL character, because I, I really liked cowering away from the big, tough baby faces. And Magnum TA just personified that. How about you, Mr. Briscoe? Do you ever have anybody that you wanted to work with that? that yeah, you yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned one of them. You know, and, and back, back, you know, I was fortunate where I got to work with, you know, during my time, all the greats. But a few years later, when, when I was getting into uh, the WWE, Brett, Brett was one of the guys. Brett had such a wrestling style that I always thought that we could really, really have some good matches. Brett, Brett Hart was probably the number one. And then, of course, Owen, Owen was just, uh, just magnificent in the ring also. But My internet's breaking again. Them, but uh, Shawn Michaels, Shawn Michaels would have been a great guy to, to be in a share of the ring with also. So, anyway, you know, modern day would be Brett and Shawn because of their styles and, and their fire and, and, their, and their, their, uh, their technical style of wrestling. But back in my days, Nick Bockwinkle was a guy that I never got to share the ring with ever, anywhere that I went. And I, I, was, I was disappointed in that because Nick was another guy who just had that flowing, flowing, flowing style of work and just a magnificent worker. And anybody that's never seen him, check him out. You know, he was, he was a wonderful person and a wonderful uh, competitor in the ring. Yeah, you know, and, and as a tag team, it's different. You know, there were some great tag teams, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you know, from the Funks, the, the Briscoes, Steiners. Uh, I think those guys I thought would be awesome. The, the team that I would love for the APA to have worked with was Ricky and Robert. Those guys sold so well, and we were so much bigger than them that 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 that's to me is a perfect matchup. You know, the baby face that's small that's really freaking out, and those guys were amazing, and still you know still wrestling and still are amazing guys. But that would have been fun for me and Ron to work with two two smaller baby faces that were so over and so good in the ring. Very cool, um, James Carter. Oh my gosh, the president. Wow, Look Jimmy! At you. Jimmy, shout out to Jimmy. He's going formal now with James. Yeah, he's going. 
He's trying to. He is a huge wrestling family. His whole family was mom, mom, mom. Maybell, she was a big fan. I think was that mother Maybell. No, that's a that's a Carter family though, wasn't it? Maybell yeah. Carter. Wow. So we're on the shuttle Miss one William. time. Miss we're on the shuttle one time from D.C. to New York, and get on the plane. And Hillary Clinton, when she's, I think when she's a senator, gets on the plane. And literally, she's sitting. I'm sitting in the exit row aisle. It's a you know no first class. And she sits right across from me in the exit row aisle, Secret Service in front and back of her. And she leans over and she says, where are you guys at today? I, it sh- blew me away. <laughs> blew me away. And, and I said, well, we're in the garden. And she goes, oh, man, Bill and I used to go. And I thought, oh, no way. She starts mentioning Bill Watts and JYD and all these guys that they used to go and watch in Arkansas. She was a big wrestling fan, not just charming as she could be, you know, completely different from what you see on television. I said, would you love to come to the garden today? She goes, Oh my God, I'd love to. She goes, but I can't, I got stuff I got to do the whole time. She goes, but I'll take a rain check on that, but really not a super nice lady, very uh, disarmingly uh, pleasant and uh, just a huge wrestling fan. That's awesome. Wow. Um, Mr. Briscoe, you ever meet a first lady? No, uh, well, uh, yeah, I met, uh, what was her name? Uh, Ford, uh, uh, Mrs. Ford. And, uh, I uh, was coming back from LA, we're coming back from LA, Betty Ford, uh, Betty Ford clinic. That's the reason I, cause I was drinking Bloody <laughs> Mary. Were you in I the was, clinic when you met her? <laughs> well, no, it was seven o'clock at a six, six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning. We were on a plane head from Dallas to Tampa and, uh, I was drinking Bloody Marys, you know, and you're sitting there, you get that welcome drink here. I'm not going to turn down a free welcome drink. So I'm sitting there down in my Bloody Marys. In walks Betty Ford. She sits down at her sat. One sits on the other side of me. I'm sitting aisle. He sits there and he said, you know who that is over there while you're drinking six o'clock in the morning? I said, no, who is she? He said, Betty Ford. I, wow. And I, I told you that. I said, Betty, good morning. I told you that Betty <laughs> The wrong thing to do, but yeah, you know, <laughs> she was a nice lady too. That's the only first lady I ever met, and that was under those circumstances. That's a you look at you two hanging out with first ladies. Heck yeah, well, they, <laughs> they were attracted to us. <laughs> wow, you don't know, you never know, you never know unless you ask, Mr. Briscoe. That's the lesson. He said everybody. I had I had something in common with her husband, Gerald Ford. Besides the first first name, you know, we're both Geralds, and we're both left-handed wow. too, by the way. Wow. Wow. You notice Did you have anything in common? I'm holding my drink in the left hand. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have anything? Did she tell you have anything in common with Bill Clinton? All right, we're going to move on. All right. Um, That's just not nice. I Listen, he did a lot of great things. Um, and you, you do too. That's something in common. You're both on TV a lot. In the nineties, <laughs> Ben Seeley says, "Ever wish you, uh, you hadn't done something to get heat." <laughs> I'm just reading questions that are here. Is there anything that you did to get heat that you're like, Ugh. "Why would anybody ask me that?" <laughs> I, I'm just the question. I'm the messenger. I think that was directed to Mr. Briscoe, honestly. Well, I, I, I think it was directed to Mr. Layfield because you know. Uh, in the ring, he probably didn't, but in his interviews, he knew he knew he was going to get heat, and I'm sure he regretted some. John, what are some of the things you said? <laughs> what are some? Yeah, you can't say any of them anymore. It's yeah. You can't say none of that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
when, when you're doing promos every night, we're doing, I was doing them every night in live events, trying stuff every night. You do some stuff that doesn't work. And I regretted more stuff that didn't work than it necessarily was tasteless or whatever. I was a heel. I was trying to figure stuff out. And to me, anything that you said out there that got a reaction, good, bad, tasteless, whatever it was, was valuable because you put it in the bag. And you either knew not to do that again or you knew to go forward with something or something didn't work completely. So I was I never had the same promo night after night. It was always different. So there were times it worked really well, times it didn't work at all. Times I said stuff I probably shouldn't have said. Not probably. I shouldn't have said. No, it. no. <laughs> <laughs> but I was always trying. I was always trying to figure out. I was always pushing that envelope and that edge. I was always right on that edge. And there were times definitely I crossed it. Uh, but those times were valuable too because I realized that that that's that, that was the limit. So it was always a learning experience to me being out there was because I was always wanting to try something different and see what worked and what diff what didn't. Wow. I mean, that is fascinating. Like in comedy, it's the same thing. This show's not about me, but you don't, a bands can work out in front of a, in, in a garage and see what works, what doesn't work. We have wrestling wrestlers doing promos and comedians. You have to go on stage and you don't know where the line is until you see the reaction from the crowd. So I tell what you what, the worst thing, what, what the worst thing you ever said to Taylor in front of a crowd? Listen, comedy is like this jokes I said on America's Got Talent on the family friendly show. You 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 get past lawyers for things that you can legally say on TV, then you get past the the producers who say things we don't want you to say because if it's appropriate or not. There's things I said on America's Got Talent that I won't say on stage now. It's just times change. It's weird. Yeah, times change. I tell, you I tell you something I did that was just this. This is how this is why you always need to try stuff in live events, and you always got to. That's why I would never want to do the same promo, same match, nothing. I was overseas one time, and I was just making a joke. I said, I, "I'm gonna." I said, "Got the microphone." It's like the old "Don't chant USA" from the Sheik. I said, "I'm gonna sing God Bless America" to this crowd, and I would sit out there and I would sing God Bless America, and it got more heat than you can possibly imagine. I never dreamed. I was doing it as a rib for the boys backstage. Just just a joke. And then I and we're in Portugal for almost 15 minutes the entire crowd would sing their national song. Then they go from one national song to the next. And I'm sitting out there literally for about 15 minutes while this entire arena is just singing songs <laughs> trying to get at me, throwing stuff. It was it was amazing. Best part was I would have Chimmel carry the American flag around the ring while I would sing God bless America. So who are you going to throw stuff at? <laughs> so Jimmel would be in his suit and just get besieged <laughs> with beer and Cokes and everything. Well, and when I get stuff thrown at me, I'd always stand right by Jimmel and I'd hook his arm where he would get hit with everything. And, and that, that works with your characters too. So he has to play along with it, right? That's so good. That's right. But I never That's, dreamed that would get heat. I just did it as a joke one time, and it got so much heat overseas. And I just started doing it every night, and it was the re same reaction every night. Every, people hated me doing that. And people need to go back on, on YouTube. Some guy's been posting all these legendary clips from – who is it? Is that NWA, Briscoe? So that you can see – is that what it is? Yeah, right. So they, they have the whole – it, they have Briscoe Brothers, the whole journey of Briscoe Brothers versus, uh, 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 who, who was it? Young Boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Young Boat. Young, yeah, yeah. 
Ricky Steamboat and Youngblood. And uh, you get to see heel Briscoe cutting promos. And like for people like me who grew up watch, loving, watching and loving Attitude Era, Briscoe and Patterson, it's so cool to see him see Br heel Briscoe. And it's a unique heel that you don't see today. And he's just, an, he's just a jerk. It's great. Uh, wait, well, let me ask a question. What's the most retaliatory response you've had from a crowd? Like, what did you say that caused, and then what, what was the reaction? You can pick one, like, oh, I went too far. John, John, John's a pro on that one there. <laughs> <laughs> I had a ride in Texas with Dick Murdoch. I can't say what I said because back in the back then it was okay to say stuff like that. Nowadays you can't. And it was it it was bad. I mean, we were wrestling the Von Eric boys and it was like quarter beer night for a bunch of servicemen and they were <laughs> they like a 45 minute intermission. And as soon as I go to the ring, somebody hits me with a beer and I punch the guy and I get hit like with three or four fists at the same time. I get on the microphone and I cut the most scathing promo. And Dick Murdoch looks at me and goes, you're the dumbest son of a bitch alive. And literally they pop, the fans are piling in the ring on me and Dick. Terry Von Eric comes out and he, thank God he had enough sense to go, stop. Let me handle it my way. And he, and he saved us from, <laughs> from the crowd. And we get out there and Kerry goes, get heat on me. And I said, hell no. <laughs> Put the claw on me. We're going home. Oh, wow. What about you, Mr. Briscoe? No comment? Well, it, it had to be in West Texas. No, it had to be in West Texas working with the funk when my brother would go out. We'd be, of course, natural hills in, in Texas. I don't know why. Uh, but we'd be against the funk. And I'm Sure, sure. I said something bad, negative about Texas, as John can tell you, you know, being a female anatomy part or something like that, the entire state. And uh, they they rushed the ring, and uh, Killer Carl Cox came out and saved my brother and I. He worked one of these big, long, eight-foot chains. He'd just twirl that chain like that. It's like Moses clearing the ocean there, the sea. And we just followed out and stayed under that. So what do we do, Jack? He said, Stay as close to killer as you can, man. We stay as close to killer and all the way back to the dressing room. But yeah, those Texas that had no sense of humor back in those days. <laughs> that is what it sounds like. It sounds like people in Texas are just really wild and. Oh, you you played out there, Taylor. You played out there several times. I mean, how is there sense of humor out there? Your your favorite spot. You you keep going back to the same spot and. I probably work Texas more than any other state, honestly. There's so many cities. I I have a great time. Wait, what am I what am I doing here? I love Texas. I love performing in Texas. I can't wait to come back to performing in Texas. I love working. That's I love paying my mortgage. What you call me after your show, man? <laughs> Mr. Prisco wants to be. He wants to help me get uh, shot at to help my career. He has this obsession oh, that'd be great. with. Don't you think that'd be great? Did you oh know, God, the guy great. don't have to he don't have to kill him, you just a flesh wound, you know? And there's oh, yeah, guys out in Texas that are good shots. Oh, there's some great shots down in Texas. Just have one of those guys wing you. Seriously, just like that's like a, a part of like, like part of the shoulder part of the arm. It don't hurt much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't <laughs> don't encourage this. Don't I, I was in Dallas. Yeah, John, like, I keep telling you, Taylor, you want you want to enhance your career. Let let me set somebody up while you're up there on stage and you say one of those California jokes that you got that don't get over Texas crowd and one of those Texas get mad and he stands up. I'll teach you to knock Texas like that and just give him a flesh wound. Just a, right, of flesh, just a flesh wound. wound. It would be all over the world, man. To any yeah. comedian gets, gets shot while telling a woke joke in Texas. Uh, it'd be bigger than Will Smith. 
<laughs> I, I like performing in Texas because they got those signs on the at the comedy club. They have signs, please don't bring your guns inside. And I'm like, good lord, where am I? And then and then Bruce Pritchard Wild West, baby. And then Bruce Pritchard comes and he's like, let's go to Tilted Kilt after this. And I'm like, what is going on here? Briscoe says, let's go to Hooters. Uh, Bruce Pritchard's like, let's go to Tilted Kilt. These guys are a bunch of animals, you know? <laughs> Listen, I'm we were, at Joe, go to we were in Joe Berg one time. I think Mr. Briscoe was the agent, probably with Tony Gurria. And they had all these guns they are piling up at the, at the entrance. And Ron Simmons was cutting a promo every night that was just, I mean, scathing promo every night. Scathing. So we gets up in, on stage. We had all these guns that we we'd saw would come in. So we know people got guns inside. Ron gets up and he's got laser dots all over him. You know, just pins, <laughs> not guns. But anyway, it, still, the whole scene of the guns and the laser dots, Ron grabs a microphone and he goes, I want to tell you. And he starts to go into his promo and he goes, the nation of domination is great. Tell him, Crush. <laughs> grabs the microphone and goes, yeah, and throws the microphone like it's hot. <laughs> Let me ask you. I got I got a question too. Those ladies back in those days of those laser pens, they had to be scary as hell at times. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, you had no idea what was gonna happen. We still had jumpers, you know, jumping in the ring, especially when you're a heel, and and it was it was nerve-wracking. You know, I told the story many times, family saved me from getting stabbed in the back in Vienna, and we used to have laser pens. I'm like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. Because they they hated the heels. Oh my god. When you were cutting a heel promo that was like really vicious, would you run it by, if I'm not speaking out of school here, like were you, would you run it by your opponent and say, do you think this is too much? Or do you, was, it a, was it fun to surprise them with everything? You know, I, I never, that's a great question. Uh, it's because I, I never wanted to one up my opponent. You know, some guys did because it was just kind of fun. You do that, you know, kind of house show just to have some fun. But uh, you, you want to draw money in a promo. You know, you don't want to one up your opponent. You want to do something that puts people in seats, not make you the better promo of the two. No, there's no, you don't win out of that. You know, if I'm a better promo than my opponent, so what? That people aren't going to come see you for that. They want to come see you because of sometimes of, of heat driven. Nearly every opponent, I don't think I've ever had told a, a opponent, I, now here's what I'm going to say. They knew I was working and they knew that I was trying to put people in seats. And, and so I never, I never felt bad about anything that, uh, you know, that I was saying enough to go to him. Now with Eddie, it was a little different because Eddie was, <laughs> Eddie would give me the lines. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I would have never said some of that stuff if it hadn't been for Eddie, you know, because Eddie was such a good friend. He right, came up with a line and goes like, I got one for you, Essie. Tell them my ancestors come over here in a boat, not an inner tube. <laughs> so that was ready. <laughs> wow. By the way, did you know you're featured on WWE 2K22 in the Rey Mysterio showcase mode? No, I had no idea. Is Ray beating me again? Can I tell you? I don't want you to get too excited, but it came. the game is free as of yesterday on PlayStation Plus, and I downloaded it yesterday, and I saw that you're on it, so I played your Rey Mysterio, and I played against you. And it's really special because it cuts from real live footage to the because it's Ray telling the story of his career, so it shows all his special matches with people like yourself and Eddie Guerrero and stuff. So, um, yeah. Uh, anyway, so I played against you and I lost. 
I think the game's broken, honestly, but I don't know how that happened. But you're pretty good on that game. Respect. All on the game, he said, John. Yeah, on the game. Yeah, I called that. That's a compliment. It's a specific compliment. You're very good on the game. But you in be... real life, but you're saying, but in real life, you're saying he's not. Just <laughs> on the not. Game, you're very good. You know, what I said you're very good in real life as well. I never wrestled in real life. I never wrestled him in real life. Okay. Listen, these comments are gonna be wild. Tell the people in the comments to be nice to me, will you please? Who, who, uh, James Carter? We never even got to President Carter's question. Who has more failed attacks, Bruce or JBL? <laughs> well, Mister Briscoe is an expert on this, but I can tell you, I can tell you, I believe for a fact. Now, I was around Jerry a lot on international tours where I took a lot of shots at Jerry and didn't do well. <laughs> I think Bruce probably has taken more over the course of his lifetime than I have. Is that true, Mr. And they're both cheaters. I'll, I'll, I'll start out with, yeah, I'll start out. Yeah, you're both cheaters. You're both, both are, are break every rule that, that, that Hoyle, whoever Hoyle is, he broke every whole book, uh, rule that there is in the book. And he does have a book. I've said the rules according to Hoyle or something like that. But, uh, JBL internationally was, was tough, but the great thing about international JBL, neither one of us would remember the next day until we saw all the scars on our elbows and our <laughs> knees, you know, that something that happened that night before, and one of the talent would come along and say, hey, you guys were out in the parking lot again, you know. <laughs> so Bruce, Bruce was more of a hotel wrestler, apartment wrestler type <laughs> guy, you know. <laughs> and, and, and so we always had carpeted floors, and I always made sure that I'd rub his his bright shiny uh, forehead. He had one of those foreheads like you, Bruce. Had, so I'd just rub that forehead a little bit in the mat, you know, just give him a little burn. So when he woke up in the morning, he would remember something that happened with that burn up there on his head. You're a bunch of children. Nice guy. <laughs> yeah, it's, you how bad guys yeah, were. We this are. Is, guys would not. I had a. I was getting married, and I had to lose. I lost a loser leaves town match. The Freebirds. So I was supposed to do it the week before, but the, the TV got messed up. So I was going to do it actually the night before that I was getting, getting married. So Michael Hayes and Bam Bam and those guys spent the entire match trying to get rug burns on me or bust my nose or black my eyes so that I couldn't take pictures from my wedding. They finally got my eye. They got my nose. I got a big swollen nose and a black eye. That's a, guys used to think that was funny. And, and <laughs> I still do. <laughs> I'll tell you, the greatest story ever with Briscoe and uh, Bruce was Scott Armstrong telling his first day in the WWE when he sees uh, Bruce sitting in on a couch in the hotel lobby. Briscoe comes in and Bruce starts berating him. And he says, as soon as Jerry check, checked in, got his ticket, he dropped his bags and ran and did a flying crossbody onto Bruce on the couch. The couch, Bruce and Jerry all fell over in the lobby in front of everybody. That was a typical night. You're all crazy. What dude, was there never like that a was mom? Seven a.m. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> was there never like a mom backstage who like you guys like felt bad for like who like saw you and like you're like you're right. I'm sorry. We shouldn't have done that. But there's no like mother figure. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Linda, Linda. Felt, only thing we ever felt sorry for. Oh, only, only Vince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Linda didn't look down upon you. Linda. No, no, and, oh, and, 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 uh, we we were very polite around Linda. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We, we I feel were we were a different crew around Linda. I can see you all you all wrestling, and then and then Lindy walks by. Hi, Mrs. McMahon, and then she she walks away. Then you continue fighting. <laughs> exactly, that's how it was. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the greatest ever. It was, was always you know when you when you when you go to these WrestleMania, Linda's staying at the WrestleMania hotel. You always dreaded when that elevator door would open. You never knew who that door would open with in that elevator. You know, yeah. you, 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 well, sometimes it'd, open, it'd be the entire family. Oh, I'll take the next one. No, come on, get on. Oh, man, I, don't want, I, uh, <laughs> I hadn't showered yet or something like that. You know? No, go ahead. You know? She, you know what? She might Thank be God, able to. I mean, you were bad too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I'll get the next elevator. That looks full. She might. If you want to get on the back uh, on the dark matches or even the matches before Raw, when he would tell the referee to cup check Chimmel. So Chimmel, right when he would get ready to say something, he had the referee go by and (coughs) whack right in the balls, just backhand him as he walked by, just to mess up Chimmel's entrance. I if there was a like a personal in, injury attorney listening to this podcast, they'd be salivating. They're like, "What's Tony Chimble's phone number? I'm gonna call him. Let's make some money off of this." This is wild. Shame on all of you. That's the worst. The what do you call it? Cup check. What's your strat? What's your in high school is the two fingers. I never understood how they did it, and it hurt a lot. Is that the, what was you the wet? You had to wet your finger. <laughs> Terrible. And you had to get them both just right. You couldn't get too much on there, or you, or you wouldn't, wouldn't slip right off. So you just wanted to write them out so it kind of stick before it slid. Okay, I'm uncomfortable. Now I'm going to sue you, and now I'm going to call my attorney just for, <laughs> for seeing you act that out. I'm uncomfortable. Um, I'm going to call Linda McMahon might be a good person to talk to if you need to get out of some of these warrants for your arrest from years ago. Have you ever asked her for help like that? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's talking to you. Yeah. (laughs) The one that ran over Tommy Rich. That's true. JBL never got caught. Okay. You you did. Listen, Dana Carvey says he. I've been caught. I'm. Oh, you just confessed to all your your crimes. Uh, G- uh, Dana Carvey was on Howard Stern talking about how he calls Senator Al Franken your your, your buddy Al Franken. He calls him former SNL alumni. He calls him for like legal help, like he had to help someone to get a a, a visa or something. And he and Al Franken connected him. Do you guys yeah. ever use your you ever use yeah, your wrestling? That. I went to Iraq with Al Rale, uh, Iraq uh, several times now. I was uh, I. I no knowledge of whatever happened over there, what didn't, you know, I, I, but Al is a good friend and Al is a, a very good man. And I wish he was still Senator. That's awesome. Um, I'll tell you a funny uh, story on Al. We, we uh, were sitting there and I think, I think it was Abu great. Uh, cause I remember, cause they made some jokes about the, about the dogs. Uh, and Al was dressed as Saddam Hussein. And in real life, uh, Uday and Usay had just been killed. 
So he's out there, I think, with Carrie Turner, who's a wonderful actress, beautiful lady, wonderful person. And he's handcuffed, and he's dressed like Saddam Hussein in Iraqi uniform. He looks uh, remarkably like him. He had all the Hollywood makeup on, all this stuff. And we get mortared during their performance. And so they say, run to the bunker. So we run to the bunker, and the guy with the handcuff keys for Al is in the other bunker. And so we're getting hit with mortars all around us. And I look around and there's Saddam Hussein next to me handcuffed and it's Al Franken. And I said, I don't know what's going to happen, but you're screwed either way. Your guys, guys are going to do unspeakable things to you. Oh my God. Al's, Al's a great guy. I, I love Al Franken. I think he's going to be host. The, the Daily Show host just retired, Trevor Noah. So they're having guest hosts for weeks at a time. And I think Al Franken's going to be doing it coming up. He's a very so talented that, guy. He, he should that, be. Sh that should be fun. Um, next question from James Hughes. Uh, a good Vince McMahon story of his generosity. Jim, James Hughes is, is, is the code name, is uh, Vince McMahon's fake name he uses when he asks people to ask questions on podcasts. Jerry, you Which, saw ahead, so much of that. Go ahead. Well, I, I tell you, a lot of times, you know, I, I, I'd like to just reflect back on, you know, my my uh, high school wrestling team. When, when we were in the need of, of mats or anything like that, you know, I go around and ask, ask for donations and all that. Vince was the first one to pony up, and Vince, Vince wouldn't, wouldn't, didn't want me to go around hitting talent up. He just, how much you need? And I'd tell him how much I need, and Sure enough, we'd have a check there, you know, to cover the expense for, for a trip or wrestling camp or something like that. Vince's generosity is is so undersold and so under publicized, and it's, it's that, that, like that for a purpose because he didn't he didn't want anybody to know. And if you would start to tell somebody what Vince did to you, he'd just cut you off and and change the subject real quite quick. So he his generosity toward anything, especially youth driven. Uh, uh, causes he was he was wide open with with his donations. I ran a, a Make a Wish golf tournament down in Texas one time, and Vince told me he goes I'm really proud of you for doing that. It's good. He goes I'm going to double whatever you raise. And he said the only caveat is he goes I'm playing a, a bad guy on, on TV. You can't let anybody know that I did it. He goes you take credit for it. He goes I want you to take the full credit for everything. And that's how Vince is. I I can tell you a hundred stories of guys he's taken care of over the years and causes that he's done things he's funded he's he's a one of the most generous guys i've ever met oh that's beautiful and side note uh talking about how you know mr briscoe does so much for uh, high school wrestling out in tampa he was there's a kid on the local news talking about his uh they're asking high school kids at sickles high school in tampa florida what are your new year's resolutions i don't know if you can see this right here but what's this kid wearing on oh. his shirt right there? He's got I a got Jerry Briscoe. All right. I took the Briscoe Brothers t-shirt all over the world. I took pictures all over the world, Briscoe Brothers t-shirt. Wow. I had, buy, I had to buy it, too. Oh, yeah, wow. Not only when they went with you all over the world, but when he's climbing mountains, when he's a mountain climber, after every summit peak, he would he would he had a bag of t-shirts. That's right. He, he, he would he would always slip a Briscoe Brothers T-shirt on at the mountain summit there, so I the highest places on the ever continent. Oh, that's so cool! I think I've seen a picture of that. That's so cool. Well, listen, we love uh, that's we love uh, I love that I love we. It's so cool all that you guys do for 
the youth in the, in the world. That's much respect. Um, next question. Uh, John Clifford, worst idea for Stooges. Was there something that you did that, you, or you were pitched and you're like, no, thank you. Yeah, I'll tell you, like I even remember where it was at. John will remember the location, Spokane, Washington. You're out at a fairgrounds. It's cattle grounds out there. And what, what, what Stone Cold, he, the, the one of the riders wanted a Stone Cold to kidnap us, throw us in the back of a pickup truck, knock us out, and then go get, get a front end loader full of cow, cow manure and dump on us in that, in that bed of that pickup truck. And Pat was kind of looking at me, and I looked at Pat. And said, Pat, we'll we'll smother underneath all that stuff, but we'll die, and I'll throw up all over you. And and, and uh, he said, well, "We can't do that." And I said, "No, we can't do that. We'll die." You know. Well, well, we got a trap door. I said, "What happens if that trap door don't work?" You know, I can't get out <laughs> out, out of that trap door. Well, uh, we'll get it out with the shovel. I said, "You can't get it out that quick." So we we shut that one down real quick. And even Soul Code said, "You know, that's a little strong, there." And I said, "Yeah." I did. <laughs> but he wanted to do it anyway. You know, guys, come on, yeah, that, that, that's crazy. They had you know, really of, the only thing. They had a bunch of worms one time. They're going to drop out of the ceiling on me and Jillian. And I, I could care less about the worms. And we ended up in the worms rolling around all side. I had no care about that. I said, well, I said, how much do they weigh? And they go, well, we don't know. It was like three or 400 pounds of worms. They were going to drop from 15 feet on our head. It had killed us. <laughs> so, no, they, finally, they, they had us move and they dropped the worms behind us. Then we got ended up falling in them and rolling around. Jillian Hall was awesome, by the way. And, but when they hit the ring, it shook the entire ring. It had killed them. <laughs> How isn't it wild when as the as the performer, all the people like all the all the layers I had to get through to get to you, and you had to be the one to be like, this is not safe. I will die. <laughs> it's not good for your business. It's good for ratings for one day, but then long term, it's bad for business. Not best for business. I, back in those days, Taylor, everybody thought they were a comedian like you. Ha ha, you know. So all oh, this would be great, haha! But they never thought of the <laughs> the, the other side of it or the town. You know, yeah. that to hit them, that's coming down pretty heavy. You know, it'll squash them. <laughs> but oh, it's funny though. <laughs> before I went through the right before I went through the ring uh, when Big Show chokeslammed me in the hell in the not the hell in the cell, the barbed wire steel cage match in Pittsburgh, and chokes me the top rope through through the ring, and I came out from underneath the ring to to beat him. And uh, I said, uh, I asked Ellis, who I, I love very much. I said, Ellis, he's our stunt guy, and he's great. And I said, uh, Ellis, is this going to be okay? And he goes, I really think you'll probably be all right. And I said, you know how many caveats you just put in that sentence? <laughs> <laughs> so we did it. We, we tested it the night before. And I got up on the, on the top rope, and Kevin Dunn calls down. He goes, stop, 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 stop. He goes, if John gets hurt, we got no main event. We got to have somebody else test it. So now I'm thinking, oh, this is great. <laughs> so Finley was the agent. He had been at the pub. He'd come over for, it's like 11 o'clock at night when they got it set up. He comes over in a suit and gets choke slammed by Big Show through the ring. No. He was the test. He was the test dummy. And Finley never, nobody, nobody volunteered. And Finley goes, I'll do it. Finley gets up there in his suit, had a few pints of, pints of drink, gets up there and gets choke slammed through the ring. Oh my God. I just, 
your bodies must have so much pain. I just, I just got a massage for like the second time in my life. And they, they go, do, what are your, uh, I, listen, I'm a, I'm a mental, mental athlete, you know, but, uh, they go, do, what are your problem areas? And like, I felt bad. I didn't have a problem area. What is it? What are your problem areas? Do you guys have those? Is it just everywhere? Top to bottom. You know, it is what it is. I, I don't know what a guy my age should feel like healthy. So, you know, it is what it is. Oh, interesting. What you should know you feel like? I mean, yeah. That's right. You just what know what you know. Yeah, good. Well, thank God. Good. Um, I'm glad everyone's healthy here. Uh, well, I meant that from my heart. Okay. Um, <laughs> I sound sarcastic when I'm being genuine. It's not good. Um, uh, Ron Motz uh says what makes a good story or character into a great one mr risco well i, I think what makes a good character storyline is a personal storyline and it's a storyline that can relate to the masses not to just a, a certain group of people that everybody can relate to and everybody can get those feelings you know either either great feelings or sad feelings whatever whatever the character is, is aiming for is that but it's got to be personal and not only got to be personal but it's got to be something within uh, within the guy's personality and within his soul you can't like john the smart ass you know smart ass and he's that way i mean that's that's john that's not a character so when you can get that close to a character as jbl <laughs> was to john then you got you got the perfect character or brother love because brother love thinks he uh, thought he was a old southern evangelist preachers so of brother love and 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 bruce pritchard that character was 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 one and the same so and and godfather i mean godfather and yeah. and, and and charles right they're, they're the same character you know so you get that character within you you then you don't have to think about you know what lies i'm gonna do they just come naturally because they're inside of you so anything that you can get personal with is it, a great character to me john how about you Killer Tim Brooks used to always tell me Killer was a great heel. And I used to ride with Killer, who's really took me under his wing about how to be a heel, but it works also for a babyface. He'd always say, when people when people take away your character and just dislike you, he said, that's when you've won them over. So when people look at it and not say that person's playing a great character, but they believe that person in the ring is actually you. And either whether it's suspend belief, you want to sit there and watch a movie and believe that the guy and the bastard of the Game of Thrones is a real person for a while because you want to see him die, whatever that is. But whenever you take away that veil and you make people believe that what you're doing is really you. And in wrestling, I think it's a little bit different because they see outside the ring too. And there's so much more you can do on social media now. That I, that to me is when I think a, a storyline or an angle has a chance of going from just a something regular to something huge because now people buy into it. You know, Jerry's seen a million of these guys, you know, like uh, Johnny Valentine. You know, they don't, they may not believe everything else. They're going to believe I'm real. And he had working matches too. But when, when Thez would come out, when Johnny Valentine would come out, when stars would come out, everything changed. You know, Brock Lesnar comes out, Bobby Lashley. I saw those guys have a break apart the other day on some fight. And everything changed when that happened. People bought into that because they believed in them. And I think that's when you take that veil away from that person's playing a character, that person's playing a heel, that person's playing a babyface, to that's the person. And you either like them or you don't. I think that's when you have a chance for a storyline to take off. Very cool. Um, 
Matt Livingstone says, why did you cancel the seven summits challenge? Oh, a great question. Uh, I was uh, two things. Uh, I was climbing a mountain in uh, California for training. I was in Palm Springs. I used to go there and train on some mountains. I was in Colorado Springs and train mountains when I'd get ready to go climb a big mountain. And I made a little summit. It's a little short mountain, uh, like a four-hour climb up to a 10,000-foot mountain, maybe, maybe in San Jacinto. And I got to the top, took my selfie. And as I stepped off uh, the summit, I stepped in some uh, dark ice that you couldn't see. And I fell about 10 feet and uh, knocked myself out. got a little bit lost in the mountain because I was a little disoriented. But I ended up having to have surgery, and uh, I was out for that whole summer, the climbing season. And then I believe that this time frame was right, that that's when Jerry Lawler uh, ended up also having uh, the heart attack in Montreal. For the, looked like the same type of injury that the NFL player had, the heart uh, thing. Um, and so I had to go back to work. So I'd love to go back and climb some mountains. Uh, but it, it all it kind of snowballed on me with the injury and then also uh, going, going back to work. Wow. How many summits did you get in, John? Three. I had three of the big three. ones. Um, I had one in Anaconda down in uh, uh, Anaconda, Aconcagua down in South America, uh, Kilimanjaro and Elbrus, uh, which is in Russia, but actually is the largest uh, in uh, Europe. So I still had, I was going to go down to uh, Antarctica next and climb Vincent down there and then uh, try Denali, which is you know about as tough as Everest uh, in Alaska. And if I made Denali, then I was going to try Everest. That's amazing. I still want to go back and try. I don't think I have the ability, especially as I've gotten older to make Everest. I'd like to go up and see how far I can get. You know, I, you know, if I can make it to camp three or four, I think I'd, I'd be pretty happy with that. I don't think I have the ability to get all the way up, but uh, I'd love to try and go through the Kumbu and see, you know, and be on Everest. I think it'd be cool. I just went skiing for the first time in 20 years. And we went up the, what do you call it? What's the ride you go on to go to the top of the mountain? The ski lift? Yeah, that was exhausting for me. <laughs> who did you run it. into a, to a mutual star out there? Who, what star did you run into? Oh, my good friend Mel Gibson was skiing next Mel to Gibson, me. Mel Gibson, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you, did you he know you were Jewish? <laughs> <laughs> Gerald, I'm in show business. I can't be talking about these things in public. I think, I think <laughs> as a Jew, I, I, I forgive him and I look forward to being in the next Lethal Weapon movie. There you go. <laughs> I have no self-respect. You and told I'm... me you love Mel Gibson. You told, him, you told me he was so nice to you. That's, that's wonderful. Oh, we, we hung out all day and we exchanged phone numbers. We're MySpace friends now. It's, it's really great. It's really special. Um, two more questions. We got time for two more questions, everybody. Next question from Eddie Laranen. We kind of talked about this, but I'd love to know more. Are wrestlers characters or extensions of themselves? The success, the, the successful ones. The successful ones, I think they're extensions of their self. I think you've got to be, as we talked to earlier about what makes a good character, what makes a good character is one that you can latch onto and become. And I, I think, uh, I think they, if, if they don't start out that way, I think they become that way. And when you can, you can, you can always tell when it, when a, when a guy is given a character that that's just not him, it just doesn't come off either in the working area department of it or, or the middle era of, of it, which means the promos and and the stuff that you got to do outside the ring. I think it's got, I think you've got to buy into it a hundred percent. And if, you, if you're not comfortable with it, 
Vince was great like that. Vince could see it right away and, and start tweaking the character until you were comfortable with it. So I, I think I think it's it's got to be got to be one and the same now. I agree. I, we're not Al Pacino or some of these great actors. You know, those guys are trained been doing movies forever. We're we're guys that have to go out there in some type of simulated real life situation for a live crowd all the time. And so I think it's so much easier if the character is an extension of yourself. I think most of the great money draws in the past, good grief, 50 years or more, have all been extensions of themselves. But can I tell you, though, like you're being modest, saying I'm not some great actor or whatever. I'm not those guys. A lot of actors playing themselves is the scariest thing to them. And like when you go out there, like like I have like a like a, some stammer sometimes or whatever. And like uh, you're so eloquent. You're so spot on. You're so confident. Thank you. Like, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was talking. That's you know, that's who I was talking to. You're right. I'm just like okay. Mr. Briscoe. Like when you got <laughs> stunned by Stone Cold Steve Austin, I was like, wow. Like I believed it. Um, but like, but playing. You, I mean, you too, Gerald. When you cut those promos, like, like you guys, I'm blown away by your one takes and live audience. Here you go. That's absolutely terrifying to me. Like even as a comedian, I tell a joke, I can take a pause. I can tell a joke, I can take a pause. You're giving a speech that you probably came up. You had bullet points, and you came. It's from your soul, and like, uh, and you have to get reactions. You're not just talking. You're not giving a monologue. It's a monologue mixed with you have to get them to evoke feeling and make them care about the match they're about to watch later that day, or or, or months from now. Like, it's terribly impressive. I got to get props. I got to get props to my partner JBL there. I mean, a lot of times, you know, you're you we're doing changeover in between shows or something like that. Vince will throw a microphone to John and say, "Go out and entertain the crowd. You got five minutes." Brother, that's any material. You just go out and entertain the crowd, and and you go, you be 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 yourself. And John, John, or whoever can take a, you know, it was it was only like four or five guys that Vince would trust that microphone to in between shows because he didn't want to lose the audience. But John would go out there, and man, he would he would start in just right off the top of his head. So you got to be spontaneous. You got to keep on 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 score there, and uh, our guys that we had were so talented in doing that, right, John? I mean, that that's oh, a, it's that's unbelievable, a yeah, thing to do. yeah. And, and there's so many guys that could do that, and so many guys would get a, a script right before they walked out. I mean, the, you got a, you got a ten minute promo, and you get it five minutes before you walk out. It, it's insane that these guys have the ability to be able to memorize it, hit it, and, and do it well. And so many times when you tell a guy because something goes wrong in the show, entertain the crowd for five minutes. You, <laughs> you're not planning on it. All of a sudden you're given a microphone and you got to be on the next second and do it. And then we have so many and guys. You got to think about your match too. That's right. You got to think about your match. You all match this, coming up yeah, you got all this stuff you got to <laughs> memorize afterwards and you still got to do this. I've always thought, Taylor, that professional wrestling, when I describe it to people, it's like two stand-up comedians. You know, you, you don't know exactly where you're going to go. You have an idea. And there's no, you don't just go out there with no idea, but you have an idea. But, and you know what kind of has worked in the past, but you're playing off each other and playing off the crowd. And so that creates the dynamism that crowds, I think, get to and why they're so interactive with the two guys that are sitting there feeding off each other and feeding off the crowd. It's a very unique entertainment. I think the only thing like it to me is 
stand-up comedians. Yeah, for there's so many parallels, also the lifestyle and all that too. But the, what's fascinating too is from the performer perspective is you're trying to get over with a crowd who may not have come to see you specifically. They may have came to see you, but they may also, some of them came to see The Rock, some of them came to see Trish Stratus or whatever. And like, you still have to, your job is to get all of them. You can't just go, well, I got people who came to see me, whatever. No, you're, you still, you have to, so you have to appeal to your people. Then you have to appeal to people who, also the TV tape, you're appealing to people who haven't watched the show. They haven't kept in, kept up with the storyline. Some people might not know who you are. They might be like, oh, I'm, I'm bringing my kid to wrestling. I used to watch growing up. So you have to appeal to all these people coming from different, it's terrifying. I, I could have, a, I could just pass out thinking about it. That sounds terrifying, but you do it. And do you feel that now, by the way, coming back? Like, do you, do you, do you, I mean, I feel like your character is so classic that it can appeal to people who didn't, don't know you from, from your years of wrestling, but are you conscious of, do you think, does it come up in your head? Like, am I trying to appeal to people who didn't watch, who haven't gone back and watched or? I, I assume, I, I, I think when I go out, I assume they don't know me. I assume they don't know me and don't know my history. So a lot of times I will, you know, I haven't been back on TV that long. So a lot of times I will kind of state who I am first. And, uh, you know, part of that's braggadocious JBL. Part of that though is a little bit of education and then, then going, then going to the promo. And so, yeah, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get every single person out there to re react one way or another. So yeah, that was a great question. I, I, I'd like to follow up that question too. Don, in the years, what, five or six years, well, however many years it was, have you noticed the crowd has changed? Do they still buy what they bought when you were cutting the JB, original JBL promos, or do you have had to tweak it a little bit? Had to tweak it because now I think you got to take them on a, a, they're more into the business. You know, not that fans, you know, 10 years ago were dumber. I think the fans now are more into the behind the scenes stuff of the business. So I think you got to work harder about taking them on a route to get them to where you want to go. Whereas before, I think back in 2004, 2005, you could almost go straight there and, and get to where you wanted to be. Now, I think you got to take them on a little bit of a route, a little bit of, of a circle, bring them around and, and then take them where you want them to be and then make them evoke an emotion in them at that point of what, what you want. But to get there, you got to have some type of setup now. I think the setup now is, is a little bit harder. Last question. And also, Jerry, I think the, the one thing that people talk about a lot about the stuff uh, nowadays is um, I think a lot of times to, to do that, you've got to be able to create some gaps in, in your performance uh, to work, you know, whether that's a promo, whether that's a match. I think that's that's where any young person has problems, you know, because you don't know how the crowd's going to react. So you, you got to build your promo with certain tent poles that you know you're going to hit, but also with gaps in there to see how the crowd's going to react because you really got to feel them at some point and see if they're buying what you're doing. If not, you got to have a couple different alternatives to, to go to pretty quick. Stand-up is the same too. That's yeah. I, that's how I work is I have, well, if they laugh at this, I'll keep going with this. If they don't, I'll skip to this. And, and right. yeah, you have to do it on live television. I, if my thing goes bad. I'm just in a nightclub somewhere. No one knows that ever happened i'll deny it no one knows i'll be like that never happened you're crazy you're drunk what's wrong with you yeah um uh last question from michael gaston quay what is 
an element of wrestling missing what element of wrestling is missing most today what's right what's wrestling missing mr briscoe wow what's missing today uh you know I, that's a hard question but what's missing today without uh you know i i, I the personal stuff i i think you know back in our days we had clear mind who was healed and who was baby face uh, today it's just more convoluted more crowded in there there's a lot more clouds you can't really tell good from bad and that was one of the things we're always taught you know you're a good guy or you're a bad guy and don't don't try to play the middle of it sometimes i i, I watch tv and i see guys trying to play the middle of it because they want to sell their shirts and they want to sell the merch or whatever and they're playing the middle role i think you got to declare that Guys like Layfield and guys like uh, uh, the, the good solid heels, they didn't mind being heels. Randy Horton, when he's a heel, he's a full-blown heel. He don't give a damn about babyface. He don't give a damn about selling a T-shirt or anything. But when he's babyface, he, he's a full-blown babyface too. He's a great character either way. But I think I think it, it's so convoluted and. In the fans' mind too. Well, you know, last week he was out here saying how great we are. Now he's telling us what kind of jerks we are. So, I think that's missing. Where where a character is a character, true and true. I think that's missing a little bit in our business today. Yeah, I agree. So, I think it's I think it's emotion, <clears throat> and that's I think that's saying the exact same thing that Jerry's saying is it's emotion. You know, over over movement, as Steve Kern would say. But you know, I understand it's not just this generation. You know, people say, well, we need more guys like Shawn Michaels or Eddie Guerrero or Bret Hart or Undertaker. We didn't have a bunch back then. <laughs> we, we had one Shawn Michaels. We had one Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. You know, we had a bunch. We didn't have like a 20 uh, Undertakers back then. You know, we had one and he was awesome. And yeah, you'd love to have 20 of them, but we didn't have them then either. I mean, you got some incredible talent now. I mean, I. I've seen the Usos praises every time since they walked right, yeah. into the business. You know, Roman Reigns and, and Miz. I mean, there's, there's some, I could go down the list of guys that I think are super uber talented. But I think the mistake that they the guys make that aren't getting over, and that's in any generation, is its emotion is missing. You know, you're so worried about, I want to fill a match. I want to fill a promo. I want to fill this. And I got it all memorized. But you don't allow spots in there to work to be a character like Jerry's talking about. You know, I know you can do a drop kick. A million guys can do a drop kick. A million guys can do a super kick and a million guys do. But if you do it at the right time, it means so much. You know, Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon had what people say maybe the greatest ladder match of all time. They didn't do anything according to, compared to what the Hardys and Edge and Christian uh, and uh, the Dudleys did. But the motion was there. And the motion was there. The, not taking away from anything those great tag teams did, but the motion was there so much. They didn't bring the ladder in the match for about seven or eight minutes because emotion was there. You got to make people care. You know, Vince used to always tell me in the headset, I know, I know that's a drop kick. This isn't radio. Why did he do the drop kick and why do I care? And that to me is the, the one thing that you got to have for some character or match to get over. Wow. 
And that's the first not mean thing I've ever heard someone say that Vince said in the headset. That's, that's exciting, <laughs> too. That's very thoughtful. I want to tell you this. Vince never said one word, mean word to me. Not one. Not one. And I screwed up. I screwed up a lot. I remember one time he told me not to say something, and literally, I forgot in spur of the moment I said it. He never snapped. So I came back. I said, Vince, I'm sorry. You told me not to say it. I said it. He goes, no big deal. You know, I owned up to it. But Vince not one time ever said a mean word to me in the headset. Or to Lawler or to uh, Booker T. Wow. This is some scoops. This has got to be. If they don't take these clips and scoop and put them on the Internet where they get paid for the, the quotes from your podcast, then I don't know what's going on in this world. That's some if they don't, it's all Dave Silva. Dave Silva <laughs> is the guy. That... I blame him for all my problems, honestly. Listen. Uh, he, he's probably a problem for my issue with the internet was Dave Silva. Because Dave Silva told me to call Spectrum. I called Spectrum. They were out in my house, invaded my house, two guys for three hours, and didn't fix my internet. So, Dave Silva, you told me to call Spectrum. I called him. So. Yep. Dave oh, Silva. Dave JBL, do you ever talk to this guy? Everyone's out to get him. Every time I talk to him, TSA PreCheck's out to get him. <laughs> Spectrum's yeah, out to get him. Chick Fil A's out to get him. Everyone's out to get him. I don't know. Like you're heel, man. What did you do? I love. It. I love yeah. it. I'm heel. I've been partner with JBL for two years. <laughs> That's what happened. Listen, I think we're done. I think we did a great job. Um, I'm so grateful I got to do this. We have a million questions left. I'd love to do this again if you'd have me. And uh, uh, thank you. Uh, to we'll see what our ratings are, Taylor. That's fair. <laughs> That's Taylor, fair. I think in all honesty, you're the greatest comedian in the history of the world. Listen, I got to put that in my bio. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me in, in my headsets. Thank you so much. That's an honor. I'm such a I'm such a fan of both of you, you know, and and then I got to know you as people, and become friends with as people, and you're such good, kind people, and this is such a joy. I know you guys get it. I mean, you guys, you grew up watching Briscoe. Now he's your friend, and then I grew up. You get it. And now you guys are excited to be friends with me. It's really special for you too. Wow, we're all, it's a, just we're all happy. We're all so we're all so blessed, you know. Mm -hmm.